Welcome once again to the definite article where we will be discussing why Tom Baker, I think, um, destroyed Doctor Who, probably a little bit of a strong term, but nevertheless, how his performance as the Doctor was so definitive, nothing afterwards quite came up to the mark and they were always somehow or other trying to chase that performance down. Uh, I'm Jim and I'll be working with me old chum. What's your name, me old chum? Hello, mate. I'm Andy, um, and I agree with you. I, I think uh, Tom Baker did put the uh, the nail in the who coffin. There's been a few contenders since, perhaps, to the throne, but nobody's ever taken it away. Indeed, and I would say possibly, possibly in classic who there weren't any. That's just something I'm thinking. I don't know. That occurs. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, if you want to argue with us, agree with us, do whatever you like, you can. Uh, we can be contacted by email on Tom Baker is the doctor at gmail.com and Twitter the definite article. Anyway, we are going through all of Tom's stories randomly using our own randomizer and <laughs> talking randomizer, and it fits. We're going to be anyway this time around in the uh, the key to time which was all about the randomizer, I believe, at the end of it, wasn't it, Andy? Um, it was, mate, it was. Well, what your, uh, what's your initial thoughts? The initial thoughts on this story, which is The Stones of Blood by David Fisher. Uh, in The Stones of Blood, we are searching again, I think, third part of The Key to Time, and The Doctor and Romana One. Romana One, as she's known in folklore, played by Mary Town, they end up on present-day Earth, and they find themselves there in the midst of these stones. Uh, what were they called? The stones, the, the, the walking stones or something, the nine stones. Anyway, and the action kicks off there. So shall we start, as we always do, with the story? Yeah, I mean, my first, the first thing I sort of want to say is I don't like the key to time thing. I don't like it. I didn't like any of it. I like the doctor turning up, doing his thing and buggering off. I don't like the Black Guardian. I don't like the White Guardian. I don't like the key to time. I don't like any of it. This whole setup is horrible. I remember watching it as a kid and for one of the very first times going, I'm finding this a bit dull and I'm not sure why. And I think it's because of this mission that he's, that he's been set, yeah. which is something that New Who has taken to the nth degree with these overarching storylines where you know, story one and story 38 are somehow related. Yeah, for, for fear of not making this entertaining, i.e. having any kind of sort of argument here, I'm with you. I hate this overarching storyline nonsense. Uh, why is it, though? Why? Why is, well, it's in modern Who, as you say, it's it seems to have been almost like they've tied themselves in knots with this having to do everything is in one big story, an overarching story, sometimes not just a, a series, an entire, well, two or three series linked together. I think it was because at its best, it is a case of turn up, have an adventure, disappear again, come back somewhere else. You're having another adventure, just like you say. I think that's how the concept works best. 
Is it also because Tom's doctor has been such a sort of, not a renegade, but a bohemian kind of wanderer? Is it that we are then seeing him answerable to another power that kind of sticks in the throat? Because I don't um, like that. I don't, yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I think, uh, I suppose what I would, it's the the mystery of Gallifrey and the Time Lords and, and all that sort of thing, which even, I'm afraid to say, I know people love the story and we'll get into the story or something separate, but when we got to the Deadly Assassin, the yeah. mystery of the Time Lords and Gallifrey and what they were all about was suddenly sort of thrown into the open into the into the sunshine as it were and they do that so much nowadays it's all got to be linked together and i think i don't think it works i don't i don't think it helps the the mystery of the character or the concept at all i think stops it being so entertaining i really do and the black guardian and the white guardian just seem to pop out of nowhere and and start throwing missions around and and all that that sort of thing. I mean, what they're the Eternals, aren't they? They're, they're, what happened to your voice then, Andy? That was very strange. What did it do, Jim? It was. You disappeared. Did I? A little bit like the Black Guardian at the end of the Key to Time. Oh, very good, very Speak good. Well, see if it turns up on the edit. If it if it doesn't, then uh, edit me out. Okay, we'll try and do that. Again. <coughs> um. <clears throat> so, uh, so what else about the story, Jimbles? Uh, well, anyway, we are. Anyway, shall we look at our story? The Stone, yes. The Stones of Blood, this story by David Fisher. Uh, so the doctor's sort of pointed in that direction by the, this sort of um, whatever it's called that points him in the right directions of the various keys that go together to make up the keys of time. And straight away, we're in the midst of inevitably with these large stones, druids. There's always druids, isn't there? I like a druid. There's always druids. And I think in this case, our druids are a little bit like carry-on druids. They, there's this, <coughs> they, they are prancing around in that strange sort of way that you'd expect druids would be in a carry-on film. And I... I don't know. From the opening of the whole story here, I don't think it's working at all. I think the the beginning isn't written very well between the Doctor and Romana. I don't think Mary Tam's performance is particularly good at the beginning here. And then we have this bizarre footprints thing, which presumably... It's funny, isn't it? It's funny because it, it, it's a lot of it's terribly pantomime, mm. which I uh, you can sort of... I don't know why other shows, other stories have probably delivered the same in terms of panto-esque yes. performances. But in the, for some reason in this, it sticks out like a sore thumb. It does. And, you know, they're, they're, like you say, there's a lot of that bizarreness running through the whole thing for, for fear of sort of whizzing through and picking out moments from episodes without going into detail. There's stuff like this bizarre jazz music playing at times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really yes. odd. Um, there's that moment I think uh, is it's either the uh, yes the when the doctor's about to be sacrificed the it is say he's saved by Professor Rumford who's an, uh, an old lady uh, archaeologist if you don't know this just turning up on her bicycle and suddenly yeah. these murderous druids all run off. It's, uh, funny enough though something you were saying about the music with the, with the jazz music this also sees the first time I remember. 
being aware of incidental music and it annoying me. And it's for me, it's that sequence on top of the cliffs where Tom decides he's going to bullfight oh, a fucking God. stone, oh, and suddenly the music goes all Spanish, <laughs> and that's what I hate. That I've hated it in everything since that, that it's turned up in where they signal a gag or a sad moment or a moment of I don't know tension or whatever with these stupid sort of spoon feeding musical moments but that, that's uh, one of them we have i know talked about um uh, Stephen points for the uh <laughs> the poor fellow who played uh yeah. baddie in uh, hand of fear who's gone right out of my head at the moment but eldrad Stephen Thorne. eldrad Stephen for Thorne playing eldrad which is possibly up to this stage with our reviews, the worst performance, <coughs> worst moments. However, in saying that, that bullfighting scene is, gets very close to it for me. But as in a moment, it's I hate it. dreadful. I mean, I, part of me th- wonders if that's, if Tom's responsible for that and said, I want to do some bullfighting at the top. Because this is, isn't this the story? It's the 100th Doctor Who story and yeah, allegedly wanted to come out of the come into the console room with a birthday cake that's at the right. very beginning of the show. I think that's right. So he's obviously being a bit daft now and again, and I just wonder, is that is that him at work doing his bullfighting at yeah. the top of the club? It's just seemed to me so rubbish. As you've said at the beginning, there are pantomimes before and there certainly are after in Doctor Who with some of the shows, episodes, stories, whatever. And this one get, judges it all wrong. There are moments which are creepy, and you have to take into account, obviously, we're in the 70s with um, the the special effects, what you can do. Somehow or other, I suppose the stones crashing into the house is quite creepy. Yeah. Uh, it, then them being chased by the stones shortly afterwards, it's just so ludicrous. They don't it's go a, very fast, do they? <laughs> Let's be honest. No, it's like being chased by a set of dominoes, for fuck's it sake. Is, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um I don't know. The, the the whole thing doesn't quite work. No, and then all this shit in space. That that what goes? Get, what happens? Where does that come from? I don't know. But it's like they suddenly, you know, after episode two, they suddenly got really stoned or high, and went, "Ah, oh, let's let's take this to space with some weird floating judges that kill everyone." I. It seemed to me as if they wrote two episodes. And then suddenly thought, oh, Christ, what can happen now? Because th- there seems to be no reason whatsoever for what happens in the last two episodes. And no. and that ongoing bloody trial nonsense. What the hell was that all about? The Magara or whatever are they called? The Magara? Uh, the, the Magara? Yeah, the Magari or something. Magara. The Magara. Again, you know, we should possibly tell people what this what's going on who haven't seen the Stones of Blood. But the Doctor... Uh, Ends up on this spaceship with Romana. Turns it's a prison ship of some kind, isn't it? Where yeah. they keep prisoners, and he um, opens the door on one of the cells to help somebody. Uh, that bizarrely is a Wirren at some point in one of these. Cells. Yes, yeah. Um, and this is the ultimate bad thing to do. And this, these two sort of lights appear, who are the jailers, stroke judges, a bit like. Um, Judge Dredd, they're the, they're the law, aren't they? They Yeah, judge during execution. Exactly. And then there's this ridiculous court scene where the doctor tries to argue for his life, 
pulling out a barrister's wig at the same time. (laughs) And you get this just thing that goes on and on, all as if they were thinking, Christ, we've got to fill up an episode or two here. Let's get some padding in. Can anybody think of anything to do? It was just really, really weird. But I suppose if we're looking for positives, the the positive, the one positive, and I don't know if this is the right section to talk about her in, but it's Professor Rumford is brilliant uh, for my money. Mm -hmm. No? Well, I will say this about Professor Rumford. Professor Rumford, for me, uh, starts off brilliantly. Absolutely. I thought, wow, what an interesting foil for the Doctor. You've got yeah. somebody who's pretty, uh, pretty tough, knows her stuff, uh, ends up for the old sort of the, the game old bird, which is a terrible thing to say nowadays, but that's what it was written as, wasn't it? Then? Yeah. Uh, and then I feel her performance starts to fall to pieces. And <laughs> she strikes me as a modern day, 10 years after the fact, though it was Hartnell in that she seems to have forgotten her lines. I, you see, I love it. And I also love what Tom does whenever she forgets her line, <laughs> which is signals it. He might as well have a pair of flags to wave around whenever <laughs> she's blundering. But he doesn't do it in an unkind way. Oh, but, he, as the doctor, he's doing it of, you know, I'm obviously talking to some batty old woman who, who doesn't quite know what she's on about. But, and yet is brilliant at the same time. Uh, yeah. I love it. And I thought the two of them together worked fabulous. I mean, I would have, yes. In the first, <laughs> when we first see her, that first episode or so, I'm thinking, this is great. I really like her. And as you say, uh, I was even thinking, what a great assistant she would be. Or, I um, absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. But as her performance crumbles around her, no. I just thought, oh, for God's sake, has she got idiot boards up like Hancock used to have to have? I think she did. I think she, there was a touch of the Charles Hawtreys going on. <laughs> and there, there is one wonderful moment there, which is, do you remember, I think, I think it might be episode one, maybe episode two, where they say some dramatic line and then both of them stare off in opposite directions. Yeah, it's just glorious. What on earth? It's either for me that was either wonderful sort of hammer horror irony, or it was just bloody awful direction. I don't know what it was, but it was it was one of the two. I don't know, but I I really liked her, and I like that moment where in in the house where she's sort of saying, "Are you from outer space?" And he's saying, "Well, no, I'm from what you might call in a time." I like, I like, I like no, the yeah. the lower key exchanges between them. Yes, anything lower key in this story actually worked much better than anything else. Unfortunately, there was so very little of it. But yes, no, I I will say she began as a really good character. I really liked it as as things crumbled and she approached the end, presumably of her acting career as well as this story. Um, I think this might have been the last thing she did. Oh, God, now I feel terrible for saying that. I I think it might have been. I think it might But anyway, anyway, never mind. Yes. So, the- so let's dig into our pockets, Jim. Let, on yes. story oh. and jelly babies, how many do you want to throw onto the counter? I am going to throw onto the counter for the story of the Stones of Blood four jelly babies. Wow, four. But blimey, you're, you're, you're quite strict. I okay. gave it six. Six? Uh, yeah, I gave it six. I, it's, it's, it's okay. It's not gripping and mm. it's not... It's not terrible. It's just kind of okay. Yeah, I, I just didn't... thought there were there was the potential for an interesting story, 
interesting. I wouldn't go much further than that. And then they sort of pissed it all up the wall. So I'm going to yes, four jelly babies from me. Andy gives it six. We're going to be moving on to something else in a moment. But yes, the story. All right, mate. So we're on to the companion now. And as you yeah. rightly said at the top, this is Romana One, um, who I haven't warmed to in this uh, story um, particularly quickly. Um, she's yeah. She seems... I don't know what the problem is, because Romana Two was obviously the Doctor's intellectual equal, if not superior, which is true of Romana 1. Romana 1, perhaps it's that she seems to to wear it more noisily, that she is more intelligent, that she is more organised, and the Doctor is a bit stupid compared to her. Um, what? <laughs> no, I know what you mean. I like the idea. I'm, you see... I'm afraid I'm on the same team, if not even even angrier. Oh, go on about. then, love. Kick off. No, I I found it really disappointing. I hadn't for a long time seen any Doctor Who with Mary Tam in, uh, and I was quite intrigued by it. We'd done Destiny of the Daleks a while ago, hadn't we? Which yeah. Was the first story, I think, um, of Lala Wall playing Romana. And I thought, oh, you know, interesting. It was okay. Um, so I thought it's going to be fascinating to see Mary Tam. And I was so disappointed with her performance as well as the way it was written. Well, yeah, her. because a lot of what, what she has to say is, is exposition, you know, that they have to constantly yeah. remind us what the fuck's going on, which is always the sign of a bad story. If, if the, the you know, the lead actors are forever having to update you just in case you've forgotten what's going on. But but yeah. part of my notes put that that I've just put she's a bit bland and it's almost like she's in an Agatha Christie rather than an episode of Doctor Who. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. I yeah, I found I suppose more some more particulars as well really annoying. And I suppose this is the writing, to be fair, rather than the actor. And it was you know stuff about the shoes and all that nonsense. Yeah, I didn't I'm didn't not, quite understand that. I'm not sure what it did. It didn't do anything for anyone and i i sort of found myself there thinking is that something where they're desperately trying to explain away a um a uh, costume mistake you know somehow or other they'd given her the wrong shoes, shoes out and about in and, and thought oh god we've got to come up with a way to uh, explain this away because if not it was just so late yeah it was really very odd. strange very strange and, and i suppose i mean because i think my two favorite companions are sarah jane smith and romana too and what yeah. i like about well part of what i like about those two is that when there is peril or terror or whatever, they always sold it on the same level as Tom. It was, you know, they they didn't allow him to outshine them. But I'm no, not yeah. sure in this story anyway that she quite manages it. I, I, I never felt uh, that she was in as much danger as Sarah Jane Smith or Lala Ward might have been in, in, in their stories. 
and I'm, yeah. I'm just not sure why. It just feels a little bit phoned in. Yeah, I felt I felt something very similar. It was, and I know we we're doing our um, podcast about Tom via the randomizer, which I think is the right thing to do. But at the same time, I almost felt I want to see a bit more of her, so I can get an idea, a grip on exactly what she's trying to do with the character, yeah. and what the writers were trying to do with her, because it was just lost on me. This one, I thought she was just some sort of foil that nothing was happening from, and. It wasn't helped that beginning, uh, sorry, the end of episode one. That was so oh, just strange. Bizarre, absolutely bizarre. And again, for people who don't know, she basically the sort of she stood at the edge of a cliff. It seems being called to by the doctor, um, and then we never see it. But she's pushed over by the doctor. I do believe, to be fair, that was what was meant to happen. You were meant to see the. Uh, the doctor you were meant to see tom baker's character coming up to her and pushing yeah. her over but again it was just something about the whole performance was completely unconvincing there didn't seem to be any peril this bit where she's sent up to the spaceship by um the baddie vivian fay just again was all wrong yeah i mean I, if my memory serves what i think the first incarnation of Romana was supposed to be was supposed to be a bit, a bit superior, a bit icy, a bit sort of you know finger waggy. Doctor, you shouldn't be doing this. But I'm not sure that. Well, in this story anyway, it just doesn't quite work, and I don't know if that's because the, Tom, being as magnificent as he is in the role, is both the straight man and the the, the funny guy rolled into yeah, one. Yeah. Is is I mean is is Mary Tam in this story a slight casualty of of acting against Tom Baker? Possibly, possibly. Uh, yeah, that's that's possibly a good way of looking at it. Because in, uh, I mean, and interestingly enough, I had put down in my notes as a companion, notwithstanding what we'd said earlier, uh, companion uh, Professor Rumford, almost like she was the companion yeah. in this story. Uh, and I put and again as I, as we talked about before, I loved her. At the beginning, I thought she was brilliant and it, it crumbled later. But nevertheless, I, I almost felt she was more of a companion than Romana, who kept, it seemed to me, being sent back to the TARDIS and things like that. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it seemed really odd. Very strange. Companion, well, let's... Companion 2, come on, Companion 2. We all know who he is. <laughs> we all know how he moves around. <laughs> oh, God, I'd forgotten. Is he in it? Of course he's in it. He, at one point, oh, yeah, of course he is. He shoots the... Um, I've completely yes. forgotten about him. No, you're right. You're oh. right. Oh, my God. And then he does this dying scene. Do you remember? Yes, that? I do. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Brain's a bit foggy, oh, but yes. Yes. No, I, I'm i sorry. He is dreadful in this. We we earlier on, haven't we spoken about him in a couple of stories, but in this one, he's just dreadful. Canine, by the way, everyone we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, <laughs> which is funny because as a kid, I loved Canine. Absolutely yeah, loved absolutely. him. Me too. It's funny, isn't it? As when you look at it now, because there's so much about marketing in Doctor Who now, it's it's nauseating. Then you think, as a piece of marketing, almost uh, something to aim at kids. It was it was genius. Yeah, absolute genius. Kids yeah, loved it. absolutely loved it. And I suppose maybe that's watching the stories with a bit more innocence, no cynicism. I don't. Maybe know. I mean, but now he just he's like Scrappy Doo from the Scooby Doo cartoons yeah, or absolutely. orco from he-man and masters of the universe 
the, just the, dare. well, he's just annoying. He's just annoying. Doesn't really do anything. Doesn't Look, add to the story. Can I just ask a question. Now you've said that. Now you've remarked. Is um is he is Tweaky from Buck Rogers annoying? <laughs> I did. You know, not having seen uh, Buck Rogers for a long time, um, I don't know. I imagine now. I would probably uh, fail to understand why Jill Gerard didn't kick his bronze ass across the studio floor. Um, With who? What did he used to carry? Was it, was it Dr. Theophilus? Yes, Dr. Theophilus. Yes, that's right. I can't even say it. But why did really why not. did they have him around? Why why was he wearing <laughs> his Chibble Fix-It badge that spoke? <laughs> <laughs> that's such a bad thing to say on a small young person actually <laughs> yes that's true that's very true sorry everyone yeah. oh god yes and canine and in this story inevitably and you can see it if you watch closely he gets stuck as ever in, in the grass so is he just cool. becoming in our adult eyes now is he just becoming the tweaky of of doctor who Yes, God. and I want to. I want to hear from. Please, somebody tell it who loves canine to this day as an adult watching it. I want to hear from you. I want you to explain yourselves before going back to whichever lunatic asylum <laughs> it is. <laughs> I agree. Actually, from. I'd be very interested to hear to hear how canine helps move things along. What he does for the show. Because yeah. other than being a bit of electronic kit to make us go, it is out of space. I can't really think what else he does. No, and I'm I'm amazed he stayed in the series as long as he. Well, did. Baker hated the dog, didn't he? I mean, he loved um, Leeson, who who played K Nine, and and that they were great friends, had great fun together. But he hated the dog. It's amazing then with the sort of power that Tom was wielding eventually in Who, that it stayed. Or was that had he got rid of him? I don't know. He left at the end of... Um, he stayed with uh, Romana, didn't he, in uh, Warrior's Gate. In Warrior's Gate, that's right, in East Space. Yeah, so that's a long, old time he had in the show. God, he was dreadful. Jesus I hated Christ. Him. Anyway, companions, what jelly babies are you getting out for? Well, uh, you see, I, I can't, I can't waste reds and blacks on this. It's going to have to be oranges and uh, oranges and yellows, I think. Um, yeah. I, I again, I came in with six. Um, I just, I don't, I, I worry about <laughs> you. I, really do. I thought Mary Tam was doing the best with what she had. Uh, mm, okay. um, and the dog, and the dog was the just dog. there. To be honest, I'd forgotten about the dog. Um, so it, it, it was a six. Mary Tam brings it up to a six. Okay, I I gave it a five. So I'm not I'm not being as brutal as I'm laughing at you. About, no, probably. But I I do feel you're going to get ripped off in any sweet shot you go. No, sweet of that sort of level. Anyway, so yes, yeah, so uh, that's um that's. Five Jelly Babies for me, six from Andy, so 11 Jelly Babies for the uh, Companions. We'll be back in a sec. Right, we're back, and now we're talking about the baddies in the Stones of Blood, the baddies, and obviously there's only one place to start, and that's with the Stones themselves, Andy, the Stones. That's right, Jim. Unfortunately, not met Keith, Ronnie and Charlie, who I'd love to have seen 
chasing Tom Baker around the uh, cliff tops of that would have been superb. Why um, didn't they think of that? Oh, good God, no! Well, they probably uh, mixed schedule wouldn't allow it. I should, uh, I should. But they know. could have, they could have voiced them. The Stones could have. Directed <laughs> <them>. <laughs> yeah, Doctor. <laughs> yeah, give us your blood. Um, so um, I've got, uh, I've only got three words in my notes for. Uh, the Ogri, as um, to use the correct term, but and yeah. it just it just says Ogri are shit, and that's <laughs> that's all I've got. They are bloody awful. Why um, didn't nobody say that in the story? That would have been brilliant. <laughs> <coughs> Ogri are shit. Ogri are shit, and they are. I'm afraid they're absolutely dreadful. I mean, the conception of them all, I don't know. Is it, to be fair then, okay, let's pretend we're in a um, production meeting. Okay. Is, is the conception of them quite creepy? This idea of those stones on a moor, you know, like Stonehenge, they're, sort of, it's, they're mysterious, they're creepy. Yeah, and blood um, sacrifice is an ongoing thing with, with monoliths and megaliths and all that yeah. sort of thing, isn't it? I, so is the, but then they're just ridiculous. They throb away for a bit, which is mildly odd, and then move around at a creepy old slow pace, uh, getting up to, frankly, not very much. I know it does sort of whiff a bit of Benny Hill sequences when they're um, when they're chasing people around the, the cliff top. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Wonderful. To see. If anybody, I don't know how to do this sort of stuff on YouTube, but can anybody? Do it where you speed up the ogre chasing. <laughs> yeah, and stick the Benny Hill Yakety yeah. Sax music on. That'd be great. Yeah, that'd be brilliant. If anybody fancies doing that, you can have that for free. Go on. Stick that out. So, I mean, as far as the ogre go, I mean, I can't see that there's an awful lot to say about them other than my internet digging um, found schools of thought that suggested that they weren't supposed to just be megaliths. They were supposed to be creatures... That, that looked like megaliths by day, but assumed some sort of more humanoid form by oh. night. So they looked like stone people, you know. Um, so, so they change into sort of more humanoid but stony type form. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like the Thing and his family from Marvel comics, which um, is interesting because what occurs to me there, what just you saying that is <laughs> clearly that's to do with um, budget restraint. Yeah. Yeah, uh, which, if you recall, a similar thing happened to William Shatner with Star Trek V, where he That's too, right. <laughs> he had stone creatures who were meant to come to life from cliffs, and they chased the chased, chased the boys <laughs> around, but they weren't able to do it because of budgetary. That's right, and didn't they end up? Because I think he wanted like an army of these sort of lava rock monster men yeah. chasing Kirk, Spock and McCoy around. And I think by the end of it, they got two in two suits. And he said, well, you know, I thought they came with smoke. You know, I wanted the smoke effect. And they had tubes leading from them to two crew members around the corner smoking fags who just puffed down the tubes and smoke would come out the holes in the suit. And that was it. Um, but why, why was Star Trek V not the most successful of the films? How dare you? I think that's that's another <laughs> podcast entirely. Yes. Anyway. Yes. So the Ogri, the Ogri are shit. That, that's absolutely. That's all I can say about them. Um, De, De Vries. Oh my God! <sighs> we have briefly mentioned, and again, anybody who's heard our hand of fear about poor old Steve. Stephen. Stephen Thorne. 
Stephen Thorne and his performance uh, as the, tell me the name again, Andy. I oh, um, so-and-so must die. What's it? Eldred. 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 As Eldred being the worst performance in Doctor Who uh, to, to date. But I'm afraid De Vere is, uh, I mean. Well, he's extraordinary, isn't he? Because when he's, when he's just being De Vries or De Vere's, whatever he's called, um, he's kind of all right you know he has his chat with the doctor and you know they have yeah. sherry and all that sort of stuff. stick him in the robes and he goes berserk i know it's so bizarre isn't it nicholas mccardle i think is the name of the poor fella that sounds and about right he exactly that he sort of when he's doing the old oddly enough you mentioned something earlier about agatha christie and it's that sort of you know pleasant although we don't trust him moment when the doctor pops in for the show yeah it's fine but yes the robes he goes absolutely mental yeah absolutely uh, and and unfortunately you you tend to remember that side of his performance over anything else you you remember that and it's an odd thing with druids in any form actually the idea when they're made to be bonkers they instantly become less sinister yeah it's really strange yeah Whether yeah that's the silly chanting the bonkers whizzing around but his death is the main thing isn't it when yeah. he's killed i mean what on earth was he thinking of what was the director <coughs> thinking of as he died i mean i was just thinking stephen points i've got here my notes the vera's death oh the acting <laughs> oh it is it is it's the, the power the power of showbiz is channeled in that performance yes very quickly he clearly overdosed on it and it went badly wrong from there i mean it was just Absolutely appalling. And what about um, Vivian Fay? Um, Vivian Fay, again, I, I didn't believe her character as a uh, uh, archaeologist initially. Yeah. That was the problem in her pink suit at the beginning. I didn't believe that's what she was. It needed something to make us believe she really was Professor Rumford's assistant. Yes. If the whole thing's going to work, we have to have some sort of feeling that she's the real deal before we see the badness. But from now on in again, it's, I just thought it was dreadful. I, I thought it was an awful performance, very boring, uh, very obvious. And then when she suddenly turns up with that very unnecessary rod that she's pointing at everybody yeah yeah just absolutely bizarre and uh, the final i mean do we do we talk about the megara in this section are they the bad guys are the megara the bad good question very good question Uh, for me in those last couple of episodes yes but that's i don't know if that's because they represented everything that was going badly wrong with the story they were irritating I mean, again, it's like you said, it's like two separate stories were written and then sellotaped together very loosely. Uh, I just found them, I found them intensely annoying. I didn't understand. I know there was some sort of attempt at comedy, like they were some sort of interstellar ant and deck. But they would, they they were just, they were just shit. They made the Ogre look good and the Ogre didn't say anything. Why don't we rewind for a second on what you just said there? You said Ant and Deck and comedy. I don't hold on. When do those things come together? Now, now, now. The nation's favourite, the new Morecambe and Wise. How dare you? Go on, I dare you to say that again. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they call them, Jim. They are they are this generation's Morecambe and Wise. Do you know what? I saw some of um the castle thing, what's it called? Get me out of here. Oh yeah. And um Ant and Deck. 
I've never watched sort of things like the X Factor. So Anton Deck, and I've heard those words, Morecambe and Wise and Anton Deck, but I'm, I refuse to use the other parts of those sentences. But you can see exactly what they're trying to do now. It's like they believe that. You know, that's at the moment I can't hear you at all. I don't know if it's Ant or Deck. One of them, but it's almost like they're both being Eric and Ernie. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I can't bear it. But anyway, so again, or I won't talk to you anymore. Dip into your pockets, Jim. It's the it's the jelly babies for the baddies. How many are you going to spare for this category? I'm not having to go very far, to be perfectly honest with you. They get three jelly babies from me in this. I'm I mean, not ashamed to say it. I'm I'm only one ahead of you. I gave them four, mate. You're so all, generous. All greens know. and yellows. Three and four, seven for the baddies. So, yes, our, our baddies end up with merely seven jelly babies. We will be returning in a second with the main event, the Doctor. Thank you very much. <laughs> And we're back, and we're going to be talking about uh, Big Tom Baker, the fourth doctor, the guy we think is the governor and possibly responsible for the um, the later meanderings of the show as people tried to replicate what he did and realised they couldn't. But anyway, Good. back to this one. Um, Jim, I don't know how you feel, but I'm, I'm, I've got slight problems for the first time oh, really? with this performance. Oh, go on. No, you start with that. Go on, tell me. Well, I think... It feels like that there's there's an album by the Rolling Stones called Black and Blue, and yes, okay. um, I think it's that one. It's either that one or Goat's Head Soup, but I think it's Keith says that's the sound of a band marking time, and that's what it seems a bit like with with this performance from Tom. All the stuff you kind of expect from the Doctor is there, all the grinning and the quipping and the... The, the 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 clever bits and you know wow he's intelligent or oops he's done it wrong but there just seems to be something missing um and i'm not quite sure what it is it, it's he seems very he just seems a bit muted i'll put it that way that's interesting i'm i like you there's some great moments in it we have his brilliant sort of stuff for the sacrifice and he's making his witty comments and all that sort of malarkey something similar actually that he does in uh, brain of morbius when he's about to be set on fire and he has lots of witty lines yeah. um and all that is there and yet a bit like the story itself it's a bit like a leaking balloon and the performance sort of drifts away and the business with the barrister's wig i was so disappointed in him for that i didn't know what he was doing i thought oh come on yeah they, they, i think the story's poorly written and badly done as i as i showed with the amount i gave and indeed you did although more generously uh it's not good work at all from the from the writers the directors and tom it's not bad work because he i don't very rarely did bad work but it is certainly lazy in places yeah it's difficult because because like i say all the sort of touchstones you want out of the fourth doctor are in the episode but or in the story rather, but they just don't. They just seem to ring a little hollow. I mean, the, the stuff with Professor Rumford, I do like. I do like yes, him sort yeah. of gooning around. You can see him sort of pulling little Christ as she goes again faces and all right. that sort of thing. <laughs> but it's all done. It's not done unkindly, and it's done as the character. It's done as the Doctor. Um, yeah. I just it. 
Oh, hang on. So I'm going to have to pause you here because um, somebody's just knocked at the front door. Two seconds. Okay, two seconds. Sorry, guys. I can't. I think you have trouble cutting things out in small amounts. Sorry guys, can you hear me? Yep. Sorry about that, just a bloody postman. Ah. I've just come up the stairs, of course, I'm now wheezing like a fucking Darth Vader. Oh, do we, what do we do? Do we start that again? Um, I don't know. What do you, how difficult would that be for you to edit into, do you think, Ed? Should we start again? If it's going to be too difficult to edit into and we'll, we'll completely scotch the whole thing, we may as well start again. Yeah, time. Um, and he's got about 10 minutes. No, saying. carry on, carry on. Okay. He says carry on. All right. So 10 seconds of silence now or so, and then I'll speak, Andy, to make it easier. All right, mate. Thank you. Okay. I am with you in the sense that, yes, it, it, it is a marking time. It is a sort of marking time. I'm, I, I think I said just now I'm disappointed in him. I suppose that's a bit harsh. But, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't vintage by any stretch of the imagination. No, and, the, and the, the, the bit where they sort of disappear onto the Megara spaceship and all that sort of stuff, yeah. again, it's, it's a sort of disparity within the story that we've gone from something that's a bit gothic-y, a bit Hammer House of horror kind of thing, to this sort of industrial sci-fi stuff going off in space with some sort of thing about some sort of uh, argument about judge, jury, and executioner sort of thing. It's, I, I, the more you talk about it, actually, uh, about the story itself, the more we discuss the story itself, it gets odder and odder, doesn't it? How it goes from hammer horror to a spaceship. It's really yeah. odd. It's it's really strange, and I kind of I, again with with Tom because I want I sort of want to forgive him everything, but I can sort of see what he was trying to do. I think in that um, setup in space, because let's be honest, I mean I know the thing where he pulls out his barrister's wig and and all that sort of stuff is yeah. insane, but it, you kind of go without. Though that sort of thing going on, it would have been the driest piece of TV for a decade, I would have thought. You know, yeah. people arguing yeah. about the nature of right and wrong and guilty and not guilty and all that sort it's, of shit. So, I mean, is that down to the writing? Yes, I yes, mean, it is. Yeah, yeah. it's because it's, it's really strange, isn't it? You, I, you wonder in stuff like this, again, in the TV, where are the script editors? Where was somebody saying, look, this just isn't 
working we 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 can't split a story in half quite as obviously as that it's just not gonna it's not gonna work i don't know yeah i it was overall it was it was a badly set out story it was very uneven and i just feel in a way tom's performance as the doctor was equally uneven yeah and then some stuff that seemed almost like he thought oh for christ's sake really yeah um Again, it's one of those ones, wouldn't it, that you'd be fascinated to see, is the Doctor pulls out a barrister's wig in the script, or does Baker himself say, we need to do something like that, or this is going to be really boring? I don't know, I wonder. And also, what would also be interesting to see is, could you could you slot another Doctor in to that yeah. whole story? And if so, what would have? how would it have turned out? I always like doing that. Well done. I'm glad you came up with that. So any more in the classic who's? Who would you stick in? Stick stick the Doctor who immediately comes after um, uh, Baker and the one who comes before. So Pertwee and Davison. Um, is, I, the, is I, that where you'd go? As in which would be the best ones to do it? Yeah. Oh, God, no. I, I can't really. I imagine with Peter Davison it would just be dreadfully even duller. I mean, super dull. You see, oddly, this, this, just thinking about it off the top of my head now, this does sort of remind me a bit of Colin Baker's tenure. Okay. Do you know what I mean? You could sort of imagine Colin Baker with a barrister's wig on being pompous all over the place. Yeah, you can do that. But is that, are you just thinking of the key to time there, that diabolical? other story arc one where he was in the um the scrapyard oh, of the valley lord. death of a time lord or whatever it was called or yeah trial of a time lord trial of a time yes that's it trial of a time lord I mean, yeah probably trial. probably yeah and that so the unevenness of colin baker's stories that's just because they were rubbish in my view um but the any other classic doctor um i can't see them even getting near to carrying it because the uh material was so poor. So Tom yeah. does deserve some some points then I think for for carrying it as as well as he did. I don't honestly think you could stick any other doctor in in there because it's such an odd story. And he does no, absolutely keep it chugging along whether whether that's the right or the wrong thing to do. He does keep it going. Well, that's I've got that written in my um notes here uh, which is uh, carries the story with his performance uh, and i think i think that's what he does he, he carries he carries the story it's one of those ones where um if he wasn't there as you say if there was another doctor in there anywhere it would just uh, fall to pieces absolutely fall to pieces all, all people would turn off in their droves it's dreadful well it's time to dig deep jimbles <laughs> Dig deep in now. I, I, I'll say, I'll say seven. I'm gonna say seven, but let me say after that, it's the closest so far to a six I've had with Tom Baker. Now it's funny, you and I have um, we we we've swapped roles because I it, it was a hard six for me, mate. Really? Uh, yeah, I I know he's carrying it. I know he's giving me all the little bits of Doctor I want, but there are. We're four jelly babies short, mate, because it just doesn't doesn't ring as true as it should to me. Good, good for you. Good for you. You've stepped up. You've stepped up with my. Miserable I've suddenly baby. grown a pair. You really have. That's extraordinary. So, dare I tell you what the total for the Stones of Blood is? Dare oh, I tell you? Go on. Go on. 
I am going to tell you that the stones of blood has earned itself just 31. Jesus Christ, out of a possible 80. That's extraordinary. Actually, I mean, I'm just having a brief look at some of the other stories that we've so far done. My God. Is that our worst one so far? So previously, previously on the definite article, the lowest was Destiny of the Daleks, um, which creaked its way to 53. And wow. We just said 31 jellyfish. Jesus Christ. I know. Maybe we're getting nastier, but that, that's dreadful. Oh, my God. I can't wait till we get hit number 44 then. <laughs> just going to be, no, this is shit, nothing. Next. Yeah, that's fascinating. Oh, my word. All right. Okay. So 31 jelly babies, everybody. And the question now becomes what will be the next story? So you better pull out that delicate piece of equipment you've been building in your bigger on the inside house, Jim. I certainly I've pulled it out. <laughs> I've been in trouble for, for pulling it out in the past. Oh dear! God. Oh God! There's no need for it at all. Here we go. <laughs> I've just generated. <laughs> Degenerating. I've just degenerated myself all over the place. (laughs) I don't know. I've no idea where that came from. I can only apologise. Anyway, we have come up with story 20 in Tom Baker's tenure as the Doctor, which I can tell you is Image of Fendal. Oh, God. Um, (laughs) Oh, God. Surely that's just this one again. Um, <laughs> which is season 15 so uh 77 to 78 and yes i mean that's right in the center of his time as the doctor yeah he, he had 41 stories and uh we're not doing sharder anyway with 41 stories and yes it's pretty much in the middle with the Sunmakers Underworld, those sort of three stories. But Image of Fendal, uh, that's going to be one you won't Jeez want to miss. Christ. Oh, well, <laughs> you sound so keen, Andy. Well, I, I, it's been a long time since I've seen it, mate, so maybe maybe I'm, I'm full of misgivings, but I remember a slug and a skull. Yes, that's right. Ultimate baddie or something or other. Uh, yes, no, uh, I have no good memories from it. Let's just say that. So um, maybe we shouldn't be like that. Maybe we should go, oh, how exciting. Oh, uh, we haven't seen him Defender for a long time. I can't wait. I think they just needed a big sack of salt and the adventure would have been over very quickly. <laughs> I'm now going to go off. <coughs> In fact, it was the Rolling Stones who were chasing people all over the moors and thinking how funny that would have been. Oh, dear. Yeah. All right. Um, yes, so anybody who has some different thoughts, please get in touch with us. Tell us exactly what it is you believe we're saying is nonsense. Yeah, you can email us at tombakeristhedoctor at gmail.com or you can tweet us at, what is it, Jim? It's just the definite article. That'll be us, the definite article. Um, Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And we'll catch you all on the fly. Take it easy, Jim. Bye-bye. Cheers, Andy. Bye.